Stone lamps illuminate the uneven rock walls of a long, narrow passageway. Wicks of sedge fiber absorb the grease within these carved bowls. The white arched ceiling is covered with animals who look down upon human visitors to this cave. Near the corridor entrance on the left stands an aurochs brought to life in various hues of red and black. In the dim light, this animal appears to emerge from the rock. Further down, the enormous branching antlers of a giant deer in solid black. Underneath, a line of twelve dots. Running towards the end of the passage, a horse with a black mane, red body, and white belly. In the distance, a wooden platform built on top of two tree trunks is suspended across the corridor. A rope dangles from these wooden beams, which are embedded into the cave walls and cemented in place with clay. Atop this scaffolding sits an artist, making a new contribution to this hall. From below, a lamp lights a half-painted black aurochs. The artist dips his paintbrush of horsehair into a bowl of dark paint and darkens the front leg of the cow to emphasize its musculature. This aurochs was jumping, its legs bent. He leaves a gap without paint between the body and the back leg to create the illusion that the leg lays behind the body. These techniques had been taught to him since his youth. At 14 years old, he had been selected as an apprentice to one of the master artists of his tribe. He had lived two years away from his family, and now ten years later was part of a long line of expert painters. Through this tutelage, the artist learned not only how to prepare paints and create images that felt alive, but he was also instructed on how he must listen to the spirits living within a cave and allow them to guide his work. At a nearby cave, a gathering was taking place. The tribal leaders respected this artist's judgment and aided his spiritual quest, organizing the building of the scaffolding and the supply of his food and water. They valued his painting as much as hunting, gathering, cooking, and weaving. His work elevated the status of their tribe. Scooting back on the platform, away from the wall, the artist examined his jumping cow. This pose had been inspired by an event he had witnessed himself, when hunters from his band had driven an aurochs to jump off a cliff and plummet to its death. Melancholy filled his heart as he relived the last moment of this animal's life. This man lived 21,000 years ago in southern France and was painting the walls of Lascaux. Using revolutionary techniques, the murals within this cave achieved an astonishing realism which heralded the golden age of Upper Paleolithic art.
Welcome to Our Prehistory, Episode 18, Magdalenian Origin. Before the last glacial maximum ended, the Salutrian culture vanished. Starting around 23,000 years ago, the people of southern France and Iberia abandoned the use of finely crafted stone points and adopted simpler tool-making customs. The following period of technological simplification is known in France as the Batagoulian culture. As we saw last time, this was a radical reorganization of the toolkit carried by hunter-gatherers. The cause of this change in the middle of the Ice Age is a mystery, but some archaeologists view the Batagoulian as the first incipient phase of a new cultural cycle, one that culminated in a remarkably complex culture called the Magdalenian. The remains of Magdalenian camps are more numerous than those of the Aurig Nation, Gravedian, or Salutrian. As a result, it's the period of the Upper Paleolithic for which we know the most about human society. This allows us to document human migrations, technological transformations, and artistic trends in fascinating detail. Archaeology has revealed that Magdalenian customs were dynamic, with changes in weapon and ornament styles about every 1,500 years. Tools and symbolic artifacts also reveal a highly interconnected society that shared spiritual concepts and practical knowledge across Western Europe. Magdalenian influence reached from Iberia to Britain and east all the way to the Vistula River in Poland. This prehistoric culture witnessed the high point of artistic production of the Upper Paleolithic, exceeding the Golden Age of the Gravedian. In today's episode, we will follow the origin and early development of the Magdalenian in southern France and northern Spain. And in our next episode, we will explore the later phases of this culture as it colonized northern Europe. Magdalenian customs first appeared in southern France around 20,500 years ago. The European ice sheets began to shrink only a few hundred years after this date, marking the end of the last glacial maximum. This glacial retreat began a dramatic period of change in the global climate. Over the course of the next 8,000 years, the world went from the depths of the last ice age to conditions very similar to those that we experience today. This global warming between about 20,000 and 12,000 years ago radically transformed global biomes and affected human cultures around the world. As one of the most influential periods in human history, it culminated in the transition between two geological epochs, from the Pleistocene to the Holocene, exactly 11,700 years ago. The evolution of Magdalenian culture was greatly impacted by the course of this warming. From the end of the last glacial maximum to the beginning of the Holocene, temperatures in Europe increased by 6 degrees Celsius in the south and 15 degrees in the north. This allowed many plant and animal species to move northward, 
from small areas in the south where they had survived the Ice Age. Another outcome was the growth of the human population, which began immediately and continued throughout this period. Mountains and northern latitudes that had been abandoned during the late Gravedian were gradually recolonized by human groups. But the increase in temperature and associated environmental changes were not consistent over the course of those 8,000 years. Some decades saw rapid warming, but were followed by centuries of stasis and sometimes even reversals to colder temperatures. The initial warming period that began between 20,000 and 19,000 years ago resulted in the first retreat of the tundra ecosystem and the growth of a mammoth steppe, much like the grassland that had been widespread during the Aurignacian and Gravedian. Many large Ice Age herbivores and carnivores roamed northern Europe. It's in this environment that the Magdalenian flourished. People organized their life around the same grassland animals that they had for tens of thousands of years. Many elements of human life, including hunting strategies and stone tools, still resemble those of the Org Nation. Defining the Magdalenian based on a single type of tool, ornament, or artistic motif is difficult, because these changed throughout the 6,000 years covered by this period. Instead, unique types of artifacts are used to define specific subphases within the Magdalenian. Only a few general characteristics cover the whole temporal and geographic range of this culture, and distinguish it from those that came before and after. One important aspect of the Magdalenian is the development of an incredible mastery in the crafting of objects from bone and antler. The diversity and quantity of organic tools produced by Magdalenian people exceeds that of any preceding culture. They carved, grooved, split, drilled, and ground these materials to create spear points, needles, hammers, wedges, smoothers, discs, tubes, beads, and portable art. One specific method of working antler differentiates the Magdalenian from other periods. Called the groove and splinter technique, its purpose was to extract points from antler. To do this, Magdalenians used stone chisels to make two long parallel grooves from one end of a cylindrical section to the other. Next, they removed the piece between those grooves by cutting a notch at one end, inserting a wedged tool, and prying or splitting it from the beam. After the splinter was removed, it could be further shaped into a spear point through grinding and polishing. The groove and splinter technique allowed for the efficient use of long straight sections of the antler, from which three or four splinters could be extracted. The groove and splinter technique was invented at the start of the Magdalenian and would be used for the next 6,000 years. Magdalenians tipped their hunting weapons with antler points, armed on the sides with sharp stone bladelets, which were glued to the antler with resin. As the Magdalenian progressed, different variations of antler points and backed bladelets were developed, 
used, and abandoned. The focus on antler-tipped projectiles marks a stark shift from the Salutrian reliance on stone-pointed weapons. Even though Magdalenians did not produce fine stone points like Salutrians, they still maintained a sophisticated stone-napping tradition, focused on producing large blades along with backed bladelets and other specialized tools for processing animal carcasses and plant materials. Another general characteristic that defines the Magdalenian is the routine use of visually attractive items. Stone, shell, and animal tooth beads and pendants are found discarded at the majority of their camps. Domestic tools and weapons were frequently engraved with geometric designs. Portable art, mostly engravings of animals in stone, bone, or antler, exploded in popularity. On a larger scale, most of the European cave art that has been directly dated comes from the Magdalenian, suggesting an increased dedication to cave decoration. When it comes to style, the Magdalenian can be distinguished from preceding cultures by remarkable naturalism in the depiction of animals. These paintings, engravings, and sculptures mark a prehistoric high point in technical artistic capabilities. Our exploration of this sophisticated culture will begin with its origins. Much like Salutrian laurel points, the Magdalenian array of specialized tools did not appear all at once. The techniques required to shape bone and antler accumulated over thousands of years. The shift from stone to antler spear points at the start of the Batagulian culture was the first step towards the Magdalenian approach to toolmaking. However, Batagulian people did not have a rich antler working tradition from which to draw, and they used simplistic methods to shape organic tools. To produce spear points, they removed flakes from sections of antler by hitting it with a stone. This was essentially an extension of techniques used for napping stone, and provided limited control over the final shape of the weapon. But then, around 20,500 years ago, people in southern France developed the groove and splinter technique, which was followed by other innovations. One of these, used during the early phases of the Magdalenian, was a lengthwise groove carved into the point. These grooves, sometimes in pairs on opposite sides of the point, provided a slot into which backed bladelets could be inserted, increasing the strength of the attachment when glued. Grooved points like these were rare in Europe before the Magdalenian. Other improvements involved the method of attaching antler points to spear shafts. One of the most unique was developed for a type of point called a half-round rod, which was a cylindrical antler split in half lengthwise. It's believed that half-round rods were combined in pairs and clamped around the end of a spear shaft. Interestingly, it seems that as the Magdalenian progressed, the desire to produce longer points increased, 
with some exceeding 25 centimeters. When collecting antlers shed by reindeer, they selected the largest available. Hunting weapons were only one type of object produced from antler and bone. Bone hammers were used to nap stone tools. Antler wedges probably served several functions. Smoothers made from ribs were used to soften animal hides. Eyed needles from smaller bones have been found at many Magdalenian campsites, often in large numbers. Sewing clothing and bags was a constant activity. The purpose of other tools is more difficult to understand. Especially intriguing are the so-called pierced batons. These were sections of antler around 20 centimeters long with a joint at one end. At this wide spot, Magdalenians drilled a circular hole about 1 to 2 centimeters in diameter. The function of pierced batons is unclear and perhaps multifaceted. A feature of European cultures since the Aurig nation, pierced batons were consistent elements of Magdalenian life. They were often decorated with elaborate engravings, which led early archaeologists to propose their role as ceremonial wands. But their ubiquity throughout the Upper Paleolithic implies a more practical role. A common explanation is that pierced batons were used to straighten spears. Since antler is a strong material, plant stems intended as weapon shafts may have been placed through the hole in the batons and bent until straight. Alternatively, pierced batons may have been fasteners used with other pieces of equipment. Supporting this theory, some show the marks of a rope rubbing against the edge of the hole. Batons, points, needles, smoothers, and hammers were the most common organic elements of the Magdalenian toolkit, but many other rarer items were produced. Even though the Magdalenians were masters of crafting antler and bone, they also created highly specialized stone tools. By 19,000 years ago, people were producing rather large stone blades, about 15 centimeters long. These would have been used as knives and end scrapers, and their shape skillfully predetermined. Stoneworking of this standard required large blocks of high-quality flint, a type of rock that breaks easily when napped and produces sharp edges. The nomadic Magdalenians carried these valued blades with them for many months at a time, resharpening them as needed. Eventually, they were discarded, sometimes after having been transported 300 kilometers from their point of origin. Large blades were not only used for cutting and scraping, but sometimes converted into an essential Magdalenian implement, a chisel used for carving. Stone chisels cut grooves into antlers. Artists used them to engrave drawings of animals and abstract designs on cave walls and other materials. Finally, two types of smaller stone tools were common at Magdalenian camps. Backed bladelets for spears and tiny stone drills for making beads. 
These were produced separately from blades using a different napping sequence. Stoneworkers developed the ability to efficiently nap blades and scrapers, bladelets, chisels, and drills over the course of many years, and their skills were highly valued. This diverse toolkit was carried by people as they moved, and sometimes buried with them when they died. Interestingly, the distribution of stone tools at Magdalenian camps shows that the most skilled nappers sat next to the fire, whereas beginners were relegated to the periphery of the camp. This probably reflects different age groups, with the adult members of the band near the central hearth. This position gave them access to heat, necessary to melt adhesives when building compound tools. The key elements of Magdalenian technology evolved between 20,000 and 19,000 years ago, across southern France and along the Atlantic coast of northern Spain in a region today called Cantabria. Over time, this toolkit spread. As environmental conditions improved, some groups of people began to settle lands to the northeast. Our next episode will be dedicated to this colonization. But Magdalenian culture also spread southward into Iberia, appearing a few centuries later than in France. The trajectory of human life on this peninsula followed a much different course than in the Magdalenian heartland. The end of the last glacial maximum brought an extended period of aridity to the Mediterranean coast of Iberia, making life more difficult for humans. The number of early Magdalenian archaeological sites is approximately half that of the Solutrian, suggesting a major decline in the human population. Once a hotbed of Solutrian art and fine stone point crafting, southern Spain and Portugal became a cultural backwater. It will not be until about 16,000 years ago that the number of hunter-gatherers will begin to grow once again. Perhaps due to this difference in environmental circumstances, southern Iberian foragers did not adopt the Magdalenian way of life in its entirety. For example, they produced backed bladelets, but not the large blades that were highly valued in Cantabria and southern France. Whereas Salutrian artistic motifs were used from Gibraltar to central France, few Magdalenian forms of decoration spread into southern Spain from the north. Meanwhile, in the Magdalenian heartland, the end of the last glacial maximum brought an increase in the density of human bands. And from the interactions between these groups, a vibrant society would emerge. As foraging bands multiplied in southern France during the early Magdalenian, they encountered each other more frequently. Navigating relationships with others was increasingly important. New rules for interacting with neighboring groups would have emerged, and guided the treatment of visitors from other bands, the arrangement of marriages, and the rights to certain lands and resources. Many experts of this period have proposed that the intensification of symbolism during the Magdalenian 
resulted from a change in social organization related to this increase in population. One sign that society became more complex was the renewal of funerary customs, which seemed to have disappeared during the Salutrian and Batagulian. The remains of 232 Magdalenian individuals have been discovered, but most of them were only partial skeletons. This suggests that Magdalenians primarily followed a practice called secondary burial, in which only certain body parts were placed underground after first allowing the body to decompose above ground. 40% of human bones from this period contain cut marks, often on the skull and jaw. This means that the living were using stone knives to make alterations to the bodies of the dead. In some cases, cannibalism may be the explanation for this behavior. However, the presence of cut marks on skulls and jawbones, where little meat is found, suggests that the modification of corpses was part of Magdalenian funerary rituals. For example, cups made of human skulls and pendants made of human jaws have been found at camps of this culture. Growing symbolism is also seen in ornaments, decoration, and art, which reached a peak in the middle of the Magdalenian. Engravings on organic tools and weapons, including geometric patterns and drawings of animals, became extremely common. In some cases, the same designs were repeated within a local network of bands. For example, bone smoothers were engraved with a meandering line down the middle and evenly spaced hatch marks on the edges. This meandering motif has been found on smoothers at 12 sites along the northern foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains. Linked not only by intermarriage and kinship, their identity as a tribe or clan was reinforced by visual symbols. Large gatherings of these tribes took place around wintertime. Among the remains of these large camps, abundant evidence of ornament and art production has been discovered. These activities were more common than when they lived at summer camps in smaller groups. During the early Magdalenian, Multiple tribes emerged with clearly distinct and separate identities. One of these tribes appeared around 19,200 years ago in Cantabria. They lived a life of cyclical yearly migration. In the summer, they lived in the lowlands, hunted red deer, and collected shellfish from the ocean. During summer months, they moved up into higher elevations, hunted ibex and rabbit, and fished for salmon and trout. These people developed their own unique visual style, distinct from groups living to the east in France. This is clearly seen in small items of portable art created on the wide, flat shoulder blade bones of red deer. The image of a female deer was repeatedly drawn using a striation technique, in which many parallel lines were engraved to fill in the body of the deer. These drawings were more detailed than most Salutrian art, and the striation technique was used to create shading, giving the body of the deer a sense of volume. An eye was drawn near the top of the head, and the snout was rectangular and included nostrils. 
This style was one of the early signs of changing artistic norms, reflecting the desire to create increasingly realistic depictions of animals. This Cantabrian tribe must have attributed a special meaning to female red deer. These striated drawings on shoulder blades have been found at seven different sites. In addition, 118 striated female deer have been discovered engraved on the walls of 12 different caves. Red deer was the primary source of meat for these people, but this animal's significance went beyond the material, to the ideological, spiritual, or mythical. This situation was much different in the northern Pyrenees, where art was dominated by the horse and bison pair. To the east, identities formed around different ideas. Between 19,000 and 18,000 years ago, two clearly distinct traditions emerged in France. Each group was characterized by different art, ornaments, and weapons. The first tribe is defined by their short beveled antler points with grooves. Beveled means that the base of the point was not flat or round, but angled at about 45 degrees. In the Chalante region of central France, the people that made these short beveled points also made ornaments from horse teeth, into which they engraved geometric shapes, often triangles. Other ornaments that characterized this tribe were small ivory beads shaped like a rounded stomach, and pendants made from the hyoid bones of horses, which were notched and drilled. Finally, at six sites with short beveled points, people created a type of art that was extremely rare during the Upper Paleolithic of Europe. Detailed engravings of human faces. Some were carved into rock walls, others on stone tablets. They were portraits in profile, depicting specific individuals with distinctive features like large round noses, beards, and bald heads. Tight-fitting caps were worn in several of these paintings. The people who made these engravings hadn't mastered the illustration of human faces, since facial proportions appear grotesquely distorted in most. This is far different from the skillful Magdalenian depiction of animals. But these portraits remain notable as one of the few attempts to express human personalities in the Upper Paleolithic. One fascinating engraving shows two men, one standing with arms raised, another kneeling, hands reaching forward. It gives the impression of a dance or ceremony. The tribe of the short beveled points appears to have lived simultaneously and in close proximity to a different network of hunter-gatherers. This tribe has been named after a type of object they made from antler that looks like a shuttle, which is a tool used to weave cloth on a loom. It's a section of antler with two V-shaped notches carved into each end. While it's not too far-fetched to imagine that Magdalenians were weaving fabrics, given that Gravedians had possessed this technology, the actual function of these shuttles is not confirmed. Some archaeologists propose that they were tool handles. 
These shuttle-producing bands also made long, narrow, double-beveled antler points, unlike the short points of the other tribe. Also, they carved realistic phallic sculptures at the end of antler tools, including pierced batons. This is an interesting emphasis of male imagery, which occurred occasionally during earlier periods of the Upper Paleolithic, but was generally outnumbered by female depictions, such as Aurignacian vulvas or Gravettian Venus figurines. During the Magdalenian, drawings of women's body parts remain more common, but engravings and paintings of men, including a penis, increase in frequency. Finally, the shuttle-making tribe also engraved human faces, but these were simple, shown from a frontal perspective, and drawn on bone tools instead of on stone. They consisted only of two dots for eyes and a few extra straight lines for a nose and mouth. Sometimes a stick figure body was included. Pierced batons were often decorated with these faces. The emergence of new funerary customs, along with these distinct local tribes, represents an interesting stage in societal development. In the simplest hunter-gatherer cultures, most life takes place in small groups of 20 to 25 people, called bands. But around 19,000 years ago, in the Magdalenian heartland, a higher level of social organization was becoming more relevant. Even though they still spent most of the year in small groups, individuals now identified with a larger tribe, probably numbering in the hundreds. Within this larger network of people, a unique system of visual symbolism played an important role, either to identify individuals as members of the tribe, or to represent status within the group. Around 17,500 years ago, a series of technological changes spread throughout the Magdalenian heartland. This transition coincided with greater cultural unity within this region. Short beveled antler points and shuttles fell out of use. In Cantabria, female deer were replaced by horse and bison as the main subjects of engravings. In other words, local artistic themes were replaced by more universal ones. The center of cultural innovation became the foothills of the Pyrenees during this classical middle phase of the Magdalenian, a period of astounding artistic productivity. This reorganization of society can be seen in several new artifacts. The predominant type of backed bladelet shifted from truncated which means snapped off at the end, to pointed. Bone, collected from beached whales on the Atlantic coast, became a common raw material from which to make spear points. Although not as strong as antler, the large size of whalebone allowed for the production of extremely long points, often more than 30 centimeters. Also, at this time, Half-round rods were invented, and people typically decorated them with small, raised, trapezoidal bumps, an interesting form of embossing. 
Another artifact that defines this classic Magdalenian phase are bone discs with a central hole. Cut from the shoulder blades of hunted animals, these discs were around 3 centimeters in diameter and often engraved. Typical geometric designs include lines radiating from the center and concentric circles. They resembled discs made from polished stone during the Pavlovian of the Gravedian. Their function is unclear. They may have been ornaments or toys, since a few fascinating examples contain engravings of animals in different poses on either side. Yet the majority have a simple linear decoration and may have been fasteners on clothing, bags, or tents, or spindles used to hold thread. There are several Magdalenian tools whose function to us is unclear. Bone discs, so-called shuttles, and pierced batons. They might have been used in conjunction with rope, thread, cloth, or wood. But since these elements are rarely preserved, it's difficult to reconstruct many aspects of Magdalenian technology. Whalebone points, half-round rods with trapezoidal bumps, and bone discs with radiating lines spread widely across the Magdalenian world and have been discovered at dozens of sites in Cantabria, southern France, and central Europe, suggesting strong links between these regions. The northern Pyrenean foothills seems to have been densely populated and an origin point for new technological and artistic innovations. At this time, the glaciers on this mountain range had receded enough that in the summers, people climbed up to mid-elevations, hunted ibex and ground birds like ptarmigan, and fished for salmon. During the colder months, they moved downslope to the plains and formed large aggregations of people where they conducted mass hunts of reindeer during the fall migration. At these winter camps, master carvers of antler and bone excelled. For example, a spectacular spiraling pattern was engraved around the entire circumference of pierced batons. Found at six sites, these exceptional carvings might have been produced by a single group of well-trained artists. These may have been specialists who were supported to some degree by other members of their tribe. A more prosaic type of ornament was made from a hyoid bone of a horse, which was carved into the outline of a horse or ibex head. This form of sculpture became popular and spread to Cantabria from the Pyrenees. Magdalenian carving talent is most powerfully displayed in spear throwers, transformed into the shape of different animals. Last time, we learned about the single antler spear thrower hook, dated to the Salutrian. It appears that this type of weapon became much more common during the Magdalenian, as more than 100 have been discovered. Before 17,500 years ago, these were undecorated, relatively simple hooked rods. But during the classic Magdalenian, these weapons were embellished with bas-reliefs of horse heads and in the round sculptures attached to the spear thrower. 52 sculpted spear throwers have been found at 17 Magdalenian camps. 
the most famous is of a young deer whose legs emerge from the bottom of the weapon. The fawn looks back at a bird sitting on its rump, which functioned as the hook inserted into the end of a spear. Four cases of this fawn and bird theme have been discovered in the Pyrenean foothills. Other examples include head-butting ibex, hyena, mammoth, bison, and fish. These sculptures were exquisite naturalistic figurines, comparable to the Oregonation ivory sculptures of southern Germany. The development of art within this Pyrenean society is often put forth as evidence of growing social competition. The most impressive pieces may have been symbols of prestige, created for important people within these tribes, whether they were shamans or secular leaders who held influence over tribal decisions. Large winter gatherings would have been ideal opportunities for them to reinforce their control through ostentatious displays. Two other pieces of evidence suggest growing social hierarchy during the classical Magdalenian. First, at some camps, large numbers of ornaments were stored in caches, presumably the property of a single individual. Sometimes these were exotic materials, like whalebone, shells, or flint, which may have belonged to a person with greater access to long-distance trade networks. Second, Although the norm at the time was a partial secondary burial, some individuals received a different treatment. 26 primary burials of complete bodies have been discovered, most of them dated to the classic phase of the Magdalenian. These people were usually placed on their side in a flexed position and covered by red ochre powder and large stone slabs. Both men and women received this treatment, which sometimes included grave goods like beads, stone toolkits, or hunting weapons. To be clear, there's no evidence that Magdalenian society had a rigid class system or hereditary political institutions, but it's likely that differences in the status of individuals was becoming more pronounced and that items such as beautifully sculpted spear throwers belonged to the emerging leaders. So far, we've explored the unique imagery adopted in Magdalenian portable art between 19,000 and 16,000 years ago. Meandering lines, striated female deer, realistic and stylized human faces, horse and ibex head, among others. Some of these motifs, themes, and styles were only used by a small local group, whereas others were widespread, reflecting the existence of a wider Magdalenian world. A similar combination of local and widespread traits is evident in the cave wall art of this period. For example, in the Dordogne region of France, an abstract symbol resembling a tent or house has been found painted or engraved in four different caves. On the other hand, a symbol resembling either the letter P or a lowercase b is much more widespread and found in at least 12 caves across southern France and Cantabria. Magdalenian tribes also adopted other new abstract signs. 
For example, feather or tree-like signs appear in France, while in southern Iberia, the rectangles of the Solutrean disappear, and wavy lines became a repeated motif. When it comes to representational drawings, whether on cave walls, stone plaques, or bone tools, we see a continuation of themes from the Solutrean. Large herbivores constituted the vast majority of Magdalenian figurative art, mostly deer, horse, bison, oryx, ibex, and mammoth. Although the subjects of these drawings remained consistent, the Magdalenian marked the most significant stylistic transition in Upper Paleolithic art. A notable desire to achieve greater naturalism seems to have driven innovation among Magdalenian artists. This naturalism is seen primarily in greater anatomical detail and accuracy, in addition to the use of new painting and engraving techniques to create a sense of depth and volume in animal figures. We already saw how this was accomplished with the striation engraving of female red deer. Another example is seen in the Pyrenean engravings of horses on small pieces of bone during the classical Magdalenian. These depictions were highly detailed, including eyes, ears, nostrils, mouths, hatched lines to represent the mane, and internal lines showing muscular curvature. Magdalenian cave art is also characterized by this trend toward realistic depiction of wild animals. The highly stylized outlines of the Gravedian and Solutrian that would have been easy to learn for inexperienced artists became less common and were replaced by engraving and painting techniques that required years to master. Among the new painting techniques is the careful preparation and gradation of colors. Magdalenian art is especially notable for the skillful use of multiple colors in single images, referred to as polychromatic paintings. The only other cave art from the Upper Paleolithic that rivals the naturalism of the Magdalenian are the Aurignacian black charcoal drawings from Chauvet. Representational art seems to have flourished between 17,500 and 15,500 years ago. But interestingly, the most famous and perhaps most impressive site of Magdalenian cave painting is much older. Lascaux Cave in the Dordogne region was probably painted around 21,000 years ago. This date is based on the most recent radiocarbon analysis of bones left behind by humans on the floor of this cave. This date is somewhat surprising, because Lascaux's paintings are clearly Magdalenian in style, but seem to have been created at the boundary between the Batagulian and Magdalenian, well within the last glacial maximum. Therefore, Lascaux marks the earliest occurrence of Magdalenian-style art. In total, people painted and engraved 2,100 images within this cave mostly animals and symbols. The paint was either yellow, red, or black pigment, mixed with clay and ground quartz and bone. Five of seven decorated caverns contain polychromatic images, 
typically with black outlines and red interiors. Most were of horse, aurochs, and deer. The largest panels were planned and contained dozens of animals. The most common animal was horse, but the largest and most notable were three to five meter long aurochs, both bulls and cows, with dotted faces. The most famous panel is in the Hall of Bulls, where the ceiling is painted with four enormous male aurochs. The most impressive of these paintings, including those in the Hall of Bulls, were three to four meters above the ground. To reach that high, the artists used wooden scaffolding, the remains of which have been discovered embedded in the cave walls. There's no evidence that people made camp or slept in this cave. Only debris related to the work of painting and engraving has been found, including pallets for mixing paint, ground fragments of ochre, stone chisels for engraving, and 130 stone lamps. One of these lamps was spoon-shaped and included a handle. Analysis of the paintings shows that in some cases they used brushes. New features of Magdalenian art make their first appearance at Lascaux. For example, the correct treatment of perspective in the drawing of feet and horns. This was unlike most Gravettian and Salutrian outline drawings, which lack a differentiation between foreground and background within the image. Also, color variation was carefully controlled to depict the contours of the bodies. This color variation is powerfully demonstrated in a fascinating painting, sometimes referred to as the coat of arms, a square composed of nine smaller squares, each painted with a different hue of yellow, red, or black. It may have been used to test the colors. Another new element in Magdalenian art was barbed spears or arrows drawn on the bodies of the animals. At the very back of the cave, a surreal scene was drawn of a bison with a spear through its abdomen and intestines spilling out, goring a man with an erection and a head shaped like that of a bird. The combination of human and animal elements is reminiscent of paintings from later periods of the Magdalenian. The painters of Lascaux, like those of other Upper Paleolithic periods, incorporated the undulations and crevices of the cave walls into their art, sometimes using natural lines as part of an animal. The talent and dedication evident at Lascaux is astounding. And yet, this cave was not painted at the peak of the Magdalenian, but at its start. There's no evidence that this was a time of growing social complexity, and the timing of such monumental and stylistically revolutionary art remains an intriguing mystery. Most other major Magdalenian cave art that has been directly dated were created between 17,500 and 15,500 years ago. This 2,000-year period was the peak of cave art production during the Upper Paleolithic, and perpetuated many of the artistic conventions that first appeared 4,000 years earlier at Lascaux. Naturalistic depictions of animals, 
often polychromatic and sometimes with arrow-like symbols, fill these ancient sanctuaries. A keen understanding of color to create depth within an image remained. Several stylized methods of drawing mammoths, bison, and horse used during the Aurignacian, Gravedian, and Salutrian disappeared. The increase in realism appeared everywhere that Magdalenian influence extended, including southern Iberia and northern Europe. It represents a major shift in artistic standards. At Altamira Cave in Cantabria, paintings have been directly dated to 17,500 years ago. Here, cave ceilings were painted with an extraordinary fresco of a herd of red and black bison. A few other caves in southern France and northern Spain possess these polychrome paintings. At Nio Cave in the Pyrenees Mountains, Charcoal was mixed into some of the paint alongside manganese oxide, ochre, and animal fat, allowing direct dating to around 17,000 years ago. About 800 meters from the entrance of this cave, in a towering cavern that has been named the Black Room, more than 100 bison, horse, and ibex were painted. Although only black paint was used, the animals were drawn with more detail than in Salutrian art. Fur, horse manes, bison beards, eyes, and mouths exhibited exquisite detail and subtlety, allowing a unique expressiveness in the face of these animals. Another cave, Fun de Goma, contains a stunning polychromatic depiction of two reindeer, one laying down and the other bending its head toward the other. At Le Combarela, an exceptional engraving of a reindeer appears to show it drinking from a real stream running through the cave. As one moves north from the Pyrenees into the Dordogne region, mammoth and rhinoceros become more common elements of Magdalenian art. For example, at Rufignac, 160 mammoth and dozens of woolly rhinoceros were painted and engraved during the classical Magdalenian. This includes a spectacular ceiling of black drawings of 60 animals alongside traces of wooden scaffolding. The cave paintings of the Magdalenian are one of the greatest achievements of European prehistory. The technical mastery and anatomical accuracy matches that of Renaissance paintings. The cost of these cave painting projects can be measured in days of labor collecting and transporting ingredients for paint, fashioning paintbrushes, carving lamps, building scaffolding, and preparing the walls for painting. When Altamira was first discovered in the late 1800s, people refused to believe that the polychromatic bison were painted by prehistoric cavemen, including the archaeological experts of the time. But the fact stands that groups of reindeer hunters living 17,000 years ago created paintings to rival those of medieval artists. To me, this is one of the most important lessons to take from the Magdalenian. The underlying motivations and meanings of cave art are hard to firmly grasp. But what is clear is that the human spirit to achieve great things is a very old phenomenon.
In our next episode, we will explore the evolution and expansion of the Magdalenian culture as the world continued to warm. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Your support will allow me to continue bringing you our prehistory.